Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunstreet is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in campaigning and community organising. We work with non-profit and community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe. Dunstreet develops community engagement and organising strategies to win campaigns both big and small and we train engagement staff, organisers and volunteers in leadership and power building. And we also help leaders craft their own public narrative that tells a story that can unite people and move them to act together. And if you want to unite people within your community, then hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. When you need support with a legal issue, it can feel pretty daunting. And that's why for over 100 years, Morris Blackburn has been helping and guiding clients with their legal needs. They're here to help you when you need them the most, from workplace to medical injuries, class actions, occupational diseases, and wills and estates planning. As Australia's leading plaintiff law firm, they have the local knowledge and the national network with experience that you can count on. And to find out more, just go to their website, which is morrisblackburn.com.au. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energize the community both online and offline, and text blasts that steal your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to their website, which is swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast that drops every Friday, that dives into the progressive campaigns and the issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And abroad, we go once more over to the United States, to New York, to Staten Island, in fact, where we are going to examine an industrial campaign that truly is uh, a David versus Goliath victory. Um, as Marshall Gantz uh, famously said in one of his books, sometimes David wins. Well, this story is when those. W- w- this story is one of those occasions when David does win. And of course, we are talking about when a group of workers took on the uh, multinational warehousing distribution giant, and they're more than that because they're TV, they're pictures, they're everything. They are Amazon. Uh, Chris Smalls was working at. Uh, Amazon at their Staten Island uh, warehouse facility throughout COVID. Uh, and um, he uh, took on that company, was um, subsequently fired and then organised from within to organise uh, the facility in Staten Island uh, to uh, turn that workplace in from a non-union uh, workplace to a union workplace and then subsequently set up his own union called the Amazon Labor Union. Uh, Chris is on the show today to uh, talk about that story. Uh, it's This is huge. I mean, this was, I mean, if uh, any of us that aren't involved in uh, labor union politics um, may not have heard about this story, but certainly if you have been, you will know about this because uh, he uh, was an overnight um, global sensation. Uh, and it's wonderful to have Chris uh take time out of his incredibly busy schedule to come on the show today to talk about share his story and the story of those workers at that amazon facility so looking forward to today's special episode with chris Morse from the amazon labor union um, before we do that don't forget to subscribe 
to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you like the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify when you're done listening to today's episode. Or even better, leave us a review on Apple Podcast uh, or on Podchaser. And for all updates, please follow Dunstreet on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, let's get to today's episode. We're taping this one on a Thursday morning on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and joining me on the line from the United States, and I'm assuming he's in New York City, is the uh, Amazon Labor Union founder, leader and grassroots community organizer. And it's great to have him on the show today. I'm very pleased about this. Uh, Chris Smalls, welcome to Socially Democratic. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, before we jump into the contemporary campaign that you led uh, in the uh, Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, I actually am really keen to learn a bit more about your own backstory um, and sort of the moments that sort of defined who you were and uh, what values were important to you. Where did you, you know, where did you grow up and what did you, uh, what did you aspire to be as a young person? Yeah, so I'm actually from New Jersey, uh, where I currently reside, born and raised. Um, single parent home my mom single mother single black mother raising two boys i'm the oldest and, and um as a kid uh i was very much a people's person still always outgoing adventurous and um i had a really big passion in music and sports so i played a lot of basketball growing up that was my favorite sport inspiring to be a nba basketball player of course, my second um, my second passion was music, so I wanted to be a musician, a rapper, or a hip-hop artist um, as well, growing up as a kid. And, uh, in my teenage years, that's when I really started to, you know, um, and, and dive into, indulge into sports and music. And I did a lot of talent shows. I did uh, play sports from my perspective, uh, high school, and I was on varsity and things like that for sports. So... I was very athletic, uh, very much a community people's person. And um, yeah, my passion was music. So um, I love to make songs. And I was starting to have a really good buzz before, you know, I became an essential worker at a very young age. It was my first job being um, Target, actually. Um, tell me, actually, you've uh, picked an interested one as well, which is your sports. So I'm going to have to ask some questions about sports before we dive into the main part. Um, NBA b- basketball. I'm a massive Celtics fan. I'm absolutely devastated that they, that my team got knocked <laughs> out of in the, uh, in the Eastern conference finals in yeah. games and I'm still recovering. So I don't want to talk too much about that, but, um, in terms of your, your aspiring NBA career, how far did you progress before, uh, it didn't, uh, you didn't reach the, uh, the big lights of the NBA? Well, uh, I actually went to college. Um, I tried to walk on with the, the Florida Atlantic University that I, I attended at the time, but I had a reoccurring injury. Uh, once again, becoming an essential worker at 16, I messed up. Uh, I messed that up by working. And one day on the job, I was hit by a vehicle in the parking lot. Oh, and that tore. It tore my ligaments in my ankle, which pretty much ended my NBA career before I even got started. Um, that must have been yeah. devastating. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I tried to come back. I had some progress coming back, but 
it was never going to be a hundred percent. And um, I, I just kept re-injuring it. So I didn't want to get any surgeries, screws at that, especially at that age. So I just pretty much took a, a backseat to sports. And then I started to, uh, you know, major in my music, which I did in college, my first semester. You, um, as a young person, did you ever consider yourself to be um, engaged? I don't want to say politics in the, in the traditional sense of politics, but politically engaged or interested in activism. You mentioned before, you're always community minded. What, what, how did that manifest as a young person? Honestly, no. I mean, I wasn't really political. I wasn't even thinking about politics and how it affects my everyday life. Uh, it wasn't really until um, Obama came on the scene, you know, because uh, I was at that age, I was 18. I was able to vote. So for the first time, the first president I voted for was Obama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the first time I actually like sort of paid attention to politics um, even though I didn't understand a lot. And as far as like activism, um, no, this is all a learning experience for me and still fairly new because, uh, you know, I walked out three years ago. Uh, prior to that, I wasn't I wasn't an organizer or, you know, a union organizer. So how does an aspiring music artist find themselves working in the in distribution logistics uh, for a global Goliath in uh, in uh, in Staten Island. Well, I mean that's easy. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, inspiring musicians at Amazon to be honest with you, and um, <laughs> and and especially it was more so during the pandemic. A lot of people, you know, went to Amazon as in a, a secondary job, a fallback job when they lost their main job during the pandemic. So um, you'd be surprised. You'd probably come out with a whole band from working there and, you know, just talking to people. And, um, yeah, for me, once again, I gave up my music, my music career entirely when, um, you know, my ex-wife, uh, got pregnant with our twins. So I got married pretty young at like 22 years old. I had twins right off the bat, you know? So, um, from that point, it was like, give up the music because the music, as an independent artist, I, I couldn't sustain a, a family of five, um, you know, and um, it, it just was, you know, get back into, you know, working full time. And that's what I did. I had multiple jobs. Amazon was one, but I actually had a second job on top of that one. And um, and it's been that way ever since, you know, I just continue to to work instead of my music and I had to give it up, unfortunately. For those of us that are unaware, what exactly is it like to work at Amazon in, in the United States? Like, how do they recruit folks? You know, what do they promise? Uh, but then also, what are the what what are the actual working conditions like? Well, I used to tell my tell my uh, new hires if you have a gym membership, you might want to cancel it. You know, you're talking ten, twelve hours of calisthenics in a building that's uh, a million square feet the size of 14 NFL football fields, you know, on your feet, 10 to 12 hours, uh, doing the same repetitive motion and, and it takes a toll on your body. So, you know, over time, you know, if you're not preparing for yourself mentally and physically, uh, the job will break you down. I've seen over my five years, uh, a number of good people come and go because they just couldn't take it. And, you know, that's not including their commutes, which can be two and a half, three hours each way. 
you know, for some workers, especially myself who lived in New Jersey, who had to commute all the way to Staten Island um, and then work a 12 hour shift. You know, our days are very long and, you know, that's the average Amazon worker. You know, they don't come home and have, uh, you know, uh, they don't come home to basically uh, have a time to enjoy and relax family time. None of that. You know, they really have to rinse and repeat and prepare for the next day. If not work a second job or also on top of all of that, take care of their family, their kids, their loved ones, grandparents, et cetera. So it's, it's a very strenuous and tough, tough uh, job to, to work at if you're, you know, an average human being, which the working class, you know, unfortunately, that's where we have to work. Who are the types of people that you did work with at uh, that particular facility in Staten Island? Were they young people? Did they come from different backgrounds? Like who are the people that Amazon are trying to attract to work in their, in their warehouses? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was yeah. all, all different ages, you know. Um, of course, majority of them being the 20s, you know, the Amazon targets a lot of college campuses, of course. Uh, more so for management, though. But uh, uh, I've seen them all. You know, I had people that was in their 20s, some, you know, 18, 19, and I had senior citizens, you know, some people in their 80s working there. Some, One of my workers, uh, former workers, was in World War II, you know, so they don't care. They'll hire you as long as you got two arms and two legs, you know, they, they, they're there to make their profits. And, you know, as long as you can make some type of productivity for the company, they'll, they'll use and abuse you as long as they can. Mm. Now, I read somewhere, I think it might've been an, an article in Time Magazine uh, that you worked all the way up to assistant manager. So you're clearly yeah. regarded by management as, uh, you know, uh, I guess I'd say management materials is probably the term they use, but your progress was blocked. Why do you think that was? Well, it's the system that they have, you know, is. It's not designed to give equal employment opportunity to people of color. Um, upper management, 70% of Amazon's upper management is white. You know, that's the way it's been for 29 years. Um, even if you look at their, their S team, that's the team with all the executive boards right under the CEO. Uh, they only have one black woman who's only been appointed in 2020 after I was fired. You know, so it's not like they they given a pathway for people of color. They never did. And, you know, the upper, the more you go up the food chain, uh, the less diverse it is. And for these warehouses, it's the same demographics. Majority of the management is always white. And the black and brown um, are majority of the workers on the entry level. So um, for me, applying in a system that wasn't designed to promote me, it was just a dead end. And I had no idea until, you know, once again, I'm no longer employed there. So in March, 2020, uh, this all came to a head, um, where you, uh, walked out on, uh, the, out of the facilities with a number of people. Just talk us through the circumstances that led to this moment of activism or action by you. Well, yeah, it was a life or death situation during pandemic. And, you know, after spending a whole week trying to reason and go through the proper channels with HR um, and, and get some clarity on what they're going to do to protect us, uh, the company disregarded that. You know, instead, they told me not to tell anybody. 
that was one red flag. And then, you know, second red flag, which was really the last one, was when they only quarantined me and nobody else. You know, out of thousands of workers that attend JFK every day, to only quarantine me uh, didn't make any sense, especially when I was trying to get everybody quarantined, basically. So uh, breaking that quarantine to lead a walkout was the only option for me. Uh, unfortunately, it led to my termination, but I was glad because I feel like I saved a lot of people's lives, which I have. But and they still lost people that, you know, I've known and the blood is on their hands still. And, you know, um, that walkout really was the catalyst for, you know, this union pretty much taking place as well. When you walked out, how many people came with you uh, and that feeling of walking out that door? I mean, what was going through your mind at that time? Well, honestly, uh, the numbers are still uh, undetermined. We have no idea. You know, I just know that the way we planned it, uh, it worked in our favor. We never really had a head count because uh, we knew that it would be impossible to get a head count with thousands of people in that building. Uh, we just knew that we organized to the best of our ability. That wasn't really that effective because we didn't know much. But hmm. what we did, um, I used the media to my advantage. I knew that media is not allowed on private property. I knew they can only get a certain view. And I knew that that day in particular was a nice spring day. Um, most Amazon workers want to enjoy their lunch outside. And I knew if we timed it correctly, it would look like what people expected, a walkout. And um, that's exactly what we did. We we staged the walkout around lunchtime, which made it seem like it may have been, you know, hundreds of people walking out. And actually, it was a beneficial for us to do it that way because more people than expected, you know, addressed the media and told their stories on what, you know, was happening at the time. So. It just it just was the way we planned it that really helped us amplify the message. That's super interesting. I love that tactic. Um, I uh, I'm interested also. I think this may have happened, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but before you set up the Amazon Labor Union, you managed to organize oh, yeah. some pretty mighty voices to mm -hmm. your initial campaign, which included like the New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James, who right now is taking on Donald Trump. Like, so you know, we're talking some big hitters here. The New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio, Senator. Was it was Warren, Bernie Sanders, all went on the record to pressure the company to reinstate you. How the hell did you swing that? Yeah, I mean, once again, I didn't know the magnitude, um, especially when it was happening. I didn't know the magnitude of, of you know, what I started with the walkout until, you know, once again now, when I'm more educated on the labor movement and the political side of things. But at the moment, I'm just a regular, you know, average person trying to, just do the right thing and i see all these things happening in the media it was definitely surreal and um you know i just tried to once again harness all of that so that we can continue uh trying to advocate for workers rights so for me uh when all of that stuff was breaking out in the news you know that's when i really had to decide whether i'm going to continue speaking up or am i just going to take the legal route which is, you know, which what most people will actually do, which is take the legal route and then you'll never hear from them ever again. But me, I wanted to do things differently. Just going back to my childhood, that's just who I am. I always do things differently. And this was just no different. You know, for me, stepping up to the plate was something that 
you know, I felt I had to do with all the publicity that I was getting. It's a, it, look, that's an interesting fork in the road in that story there, because you're right. A lot of folks would normally take the legal road, but you chose to organize. Um, exactly. Why? Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like the legal route, uh, even though, uh, you know, there's this, you know, uh, there's ways to get justice with the legal route and financial relief and all of that. I think what I was fighting for was bigger than that. And I still fighting for is bigger than, you know, any type of individual relief I can get. So when I did do my lawsuit, I made sure it was on the behalf of the class. It was never an individual case. It was always a class action lawsuit. And I made sure that once again, I brought other people into this fight, other Amazon workers, uh, other people who went through the same things during the pandemic and other in other industries as well. And, you know, I just. I felt like, you know, um, who else would step up to the plate if it wasn't me? Uh, like you mentioned, I was a supervisor for four and a half years at Amazon. And still till this day, I'm the only supervisor who's been in that position at Amazon to speak out. You know, other other people that speak out are entry level workers. Mm. You know, they can get fired. You know, they don't have that much tenure in the company. They didn't open up three facilities like I did. but for a supervisor in my position to speak out against this trillion dollar company, you know, still to this day, I'm the only one that was able to, you know, accomplish that with the platform that I was given. Something that perhaps our Australian audience or a non um, United States audience may not comprehend, but certainly the circumstances here in Australia is there is a union for pretty much every worker in, in, in Australia. Whether yeah. the union is present in a workplace or not, um, well, that, that that will differ depending on what industry you're in. But if you want to join a union, there is a union that you can join. Uh, when you first walked out and then obviously started to, this campaign started to build momentum, um, I mean, I understand that it's maybe simultaneously while this was happening, that was that the RWDSU was running the campaign in Bessemer in Alabama? Yeah. Um, what, what, what led you to setting up your own Amazon labor union as opposed to going down the path of engaging with a union that was already existing that was doing this kind of work? Well, a number of things. I mean, for one, you know, we, we drove down there. We saw their campaign in person. And I know a lot of people um, jumped on the bandwagon when they got in the media. They had politicians showing up for them, you know, the Bernies and everybody else. Uh, so we got curious as well. We drove down there. We tried to connect with the union and we learned that, you know, there was a, a huge disconnect with the workers there, the first campaign. And and um, we knew their faith wasn't going to be good before the, uh, we even left Alabama. We just didn't go public because we didn't want to create a divide in the workers and the solidarity that was being built. Mm -hmm. So after the results came out, you know, we uh, that's when we decided that you know, we need to do something new and different. And quite frankly, I, you know, when people do ask me this question, I'm like, you know, Amazon's been around for 29 years now. If these established unions really wanted to organize it, it could have been done already. Mm -hmm. So what better way to do it than the way we did it with the workers who actually work for the company, where there's a relationship with the union because we are the union. 
And we know our own grievances. We know our issues. We know what we want to fight for. We know the Amazon language and we know we know our coworkers. You know, we know them best. So we don't have to, you know, once again, educate a third party on what Amazon is by itself and then re-educate everybody on what a union is. Because that would have been another uh, task that we had to take on. So it was kind of easier for us to skip that, you know, initial step of organizing Amazon workers because we were them and just go right into educating the workers and our coworkers on what a union is. And, and that that's the way it was able to, you know, ultimately be successful. So what was the initial goal for this new union that you set up, the Amazon Labor Union? What was your goal that you're going to work towards initially? Well, the same one, you know, um, we have demands that uh, they change all the time because Amazon changes their policies all the time. But, you know, it started off, well, of course, with whole health and safety. You know, we were talking about our campaign beginning when the pandemic was still here and, you know, still very much alive and um, especially in New York at the time. So for us, it was always health and safety. And higher wages, you know, we're not making enough money to sustain ourselves and and work one job. Like I said, most of the Amazon workers, they'll get off of work and then they'll clock right into Uber or, you know, do a second job because one check is not enough. And you're talking about working for the richest man in the world doesn't make any sense. So wages, job security, health and safety, uh, better health and medical leave uh, benefits a pension, a college for yourself, your spouse, your children, you know, all the things that regular unions provide, we're trying to provide the same thing. And right now we're fighting for our contract, which is the fight for 30. We're fighting for $30 an hour. And so is the first step before you get to that negotiating table and start to negotiate with the company, all of these things that you want, better wages, better conditions that you need, the, 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 Amazon labor union needed to be recognized as the union and therefore you have to have a ballot of all of the workers that work at that particular facility. Is that right? So yeah, the way it works in the States is uh, we the election that we had last year um, was for ballot rep- recognition. And because we won the election and Amazon did object in the appeal, um, the NLRB has dismissed all of their claims. So we are officially, as of January of this year, we are certified as a, a union by the federal government. Now we're waiting on a bargaining order, which a bargaining order, um, once the bargaining order is given to us, we as the union can order the company to come to the table. That hasn't happened yet. So because Amazon has appealed the bargaining order. So we're in this process where we're just waiting basically for the board to make their final decision. And once that comes down, then we'll be able to order the company to come to the table to negotiate our contract. So going back to those embryonic days of when you set up the Amazon labor union, um, did, I mean, did you know how to organize with the folks around you that knew how to organize, like in terms of trying to work towards this strategy? Did, was it trial and error? Like, you know, what resources did you have? What resources did you need to get? I know there's a whole bunch of questions there, but I'm just really interested about where you started. That's kind of, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Oh, we started from nothing. You know, we had literally a GoFundMe uh, and, a, and a few people, you know, um, and we learned as we go. We definitely didn't know all the answers and we didn't have all the answers. We barely even had legal representation. 
we found one pro bono lawyer and uh that was it you know it was just really a handful of us and and some resiliency <laughs> and a lot of and a lot of luck you know because once again uh me as the leader had to navigate and play chess with the trillion dollar company which I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it because I knew the company. You know, once again, the difference between our campaigns and others is that me and everybody I organized with, we were invested with Amazon. We didn't just work there. We invested ourselves, our lives, you know, our blood, sweat, and tears to this company for years. Everybody I worked with, uh, they opened up JFK in 2018 when that building first opened. Um, before that, you know, I opened up two other buildings. 2015 in New Jersey, 2017 in Connecticut. I trained thousands of Amazon workers. So I knew the company better than the company knows the company. Jeff Bezos don't know what happens in his warehouses. I do. So mm. that was the, the advantage that I still have over the company is this is a machine that's that's operated by people. But one thing Amazon doesn't know is people. They know machinery, they know robots, they know numbers, they know metrics, but they don't know people. So we'll always have that advantage. And and me knowing that was it was easy to organize people because once again, going back to my childhood, being an independent artist, uh, being a musician, I always organize people. It's just in a different way. I had to organize my own shows. I had to organize my own events. And this was before social media was a thing. So I grew up in the 90s where we had face-to-face -face conversation, word of mouth, and community support to, you know, bring people together. Um, I love it. And that was actually going to my next question. I was going to say, how significant was building relationships with those people that you worked with? But you were the trainer. And I've always found that some of the most powerful people in workplaces are the trainers because they get to meet everyone and they get to know everyone and they get to build relationships with everyone. And there's a trust there as well. I mean, how significant was that role, do you think, in being able to sort of build, I guess, the glue that bound that union or that the, the ability to forge a union together? Oh, it, it, you know, once again, it, I was the same way at Amazon, you know, who I am as an organizer, you know, Amazon had me as a supervisor. I was a, a model employee and I produced the best numbers they ever seen. You know, I was one of their best employees in probably Amazon history. And I knew that I knew my talent. I knew what I was capable to do. It doesn't matter what they given me or what they threw at me. I always prevailed. And, um, when it came to bringing people together, yeah. I was a good listener. Even at Amazon, people love to talk to me because I was a good listener. And that's the same way we're organizing, building the relationships, earning trust, me being outside the building, even though I was fired, I was outside of that building for over 300 days. So I spent 300 days, winter, cold, night, day, hot, cold, rain, shine. I was outside connecting with these workers let them know that I'm there for them, even though I'm no longer employed. And that right there resonated more than anything, uh, any union busting that Amazon could have ever done. I want to come to that union busting in a moment, but what kind of tactics did you use, uh, given that you're physically outside of the building, to continue to the, build that relationship with the workers that were inside working at the uh, facility? Oh, yeah, it was... It was, uh, you know, breaking bread with them. You know, I had a number of barbecues. 
where I was giving out food every day, every other week, um, uh, bringing music, uh, musicians to Staten Island to perform. We had like nice little mini concerts out there. We had a, a fire pit every night, every night cooking marshmallows, playing guitar, having candles lit, watching movies. You know, we made it really a family oriented vibe and everybody respected that. You know, they, they enjoyed you know, hanging out with us, even if it was for a few minutes, you know, but we had people that hang out with us for hours. They would come over there. They'll VTO from Amazon and come hang out with us all day long. Um, and, and those moments right there of building that culture was, was unforgettable. You know, something that Amazon never dealt with before. We pretty much occupied Amazon's property for, for 11 months. Let's take a quick break to talk about SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date, absolutely. Phone banks uh, that can change minds. Emails that drive donations and events that will energize the community online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Okay, let's get back to the show. Talk us, uh, you mentioned before about the union bus and tactics, and this is something that I think is starting to happen a little bit in Australia, but not to the level that we see in the United States in terms of the amount of money that companies um, uh, spend on hiring consultants to, to, to sort of, I guess, bust unions. Talk us about some of the tactics that the company deployed against you and the workers at this facility. Yeah, they... Uh... They brought the cavalry on us like week two. You know, they brought union buses from all over, uh, especially especially the ones that came from Alabama. Um, they felt like they were the best weapons that they had. Um, and they put our workers in over 3,300 captive audiences. Um, they had the walls plastered with anti-union, you know, propaganda. Um and they spent $14.2 million, you know, on, on the union busters alone, just paying them, you know, a blue cool amount of money to union bus, pretty much. Some of them were getting paid, you know, $10,000 a day. Um, some of them were getting paid $24,000, $29,000 a week, $19,000 a week. You know, we discovered all of this throughout our campaign. And um, it was just, it was just like roulette. You know, they had union buses, roulette. They was bringing them in, you know, every week. Every week we were spotting new ones from all over different cultures. They tried to match up demographics. They were flying them in, you know, left and right. And they were just, you know, overly aggressive to the point where they arrested me. They arrested some of the Amazon workers that currently work there. Um, and it, it just backfired on them. You know, the, the ugliness of the true ugliness of Amazon was exposed for sure. I was going to say, how significant do, sometimes can those tactics play into the advantage of the working people and that sort of David and Goliath thing? Of, people always want to back a David in this situation. Did that, you know, were there ways in which you could take these tactics and turn it back to the workforce and say, hey, look, this isn't, you know, is this the kind of company we want to work for? Yeah, absolutely. You know, once, once one of our strongest tactics was exposing how much the union buses were getting paid. And and exposing that to the workers, like letting them know, like you got somebody in here who's a millionaire, who's a millionaire, literally a millionaire, trying to tell you 
who makes less than thirty five thousand a year to basically stay poor. You know, don't go up against your company because you are not making no money and you don't deserve to have any money. And you know, once we expose all of that, you know that that really is a snowball effect. You know, workers started to wake up like, hey, you're not even from New York. You're not from New York City. You're not from this area. You don't know what it is to live in our communities. You're not from the urban or black and brown community, especially indigenous or immigrant. How the hell can someone like you tell us what's best for our, our rights and benefits? So when that starts to click with workers on top of Amazon just continuing to drill, 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 union busting every day, every hour, um, workers start to see through it. They start to see and realize this company um, is spending all this money and time instead of investing it to us and giving us bonuses and raises. They're spending more time worried about the AOU than anything they've ever seen before. And it doesn't make any sense. And that's what ultimately, you know, was allowed, it was able to get people to, to vote for us on top of the icing on the cake was when people saw me get arrested. Because once again, I've been feeding these workers for 10 months straight at the time. And when they saw me get arrested, that upset people that even was on the fence. Because they were saying, they were saying to themselves, like, wow, this company will go that far to arrest people for just giving out free food. Um, doesn't make any sense. It's something that has to be done. And they voted. They voted yes. That's brutal. Okay. So on April 2022, the workers at the warehouse voted in favor to unionize, voting 2,654 to 2,131. Describe the feeling in that count room. I'm assuming you were in that count room watching those ballots be counted and then the feeling of seeing the result. Well, yeah, I was in the room, you know, during the count and, you know, before we had to go downstairs and address the press and the crowd. Um, yeah, that moment was uh, probably the greatest feeling in my life next to my kid's birth, you know, and I always say that because um, to, to share that moment with everybody I, you know, organized with and um, to see all of our hard work paying off and to see the reactions of, you know, the labor movement and, and beyond, um, that was just surreal. And, um, to really, honestly, to rub it in Amazon's face was the best moment, especially to their lawyers, their million dollar lawyers that was in the same room as me that had to sit there and watch, you know, these thousands of votes be counted for two days straight. You know, that was the best feeling to, to mm -hmm. shake their hand, to shake their hand, you know, with a smile on and say, you know, you know, take that one to the bank because, you know, that, that was a priceless moment right there. So, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, every time I think about it, it's like, um, I want to share that, that experience with everybody. I want everybody to feel that same exact, uh, feeling, you know, when they organize. It's fantastic. Um, and obviously you went outside, uh, actually, no, what happened did the company communicate to the workers at the facility what the result was? Yeah, yeah. I think they sent out a message saying that as soon as we the results came out, they sent out a message talking about they're going to appeal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they wanted <laughs> they wanted to make sure that uh, you know, that this wasn't like 
uh, overwhelmingly felt in the warehouse, but it was already too late. The whole warehouse from the moment we won and we was on TV everywhere, uh, from what we heard that day from the warehouse, the whole warehouse was uh, ecstatic. You know, everybody was cheering, everybody was clapping, everybody was happy. And, um, you know, we, we, we heard that management wasn't really happy and we knew that, um, you know, some jobs were going to be lost, which we were right. You know, they 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 cleaned house and cleaned out a lot of management that was there. Um, and I'm glad because they 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 cleaned out the guy who fired me, which was once again another another happy moment for me <laughs> in my Small journey. So. I love that. It's a personal victory. It's it's beautiful. At the time mm-hmm. when you addressed the the media and the crowd after the the um the 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 results, uh, you said, and I quote. I hope that everybody's paying attention now because a lot of people doubted us. Who are you speaking to when you said that? Oh, it was pretty much everybody, <laughs> uh, including including the media. You know, the media was there, but the media doubted us. You know, that's the funny thing. You know, um, you know, the New York Times, uh, their investigator, their investigator journalist told us that every publication in America already had the headlines that we lost mm. you know they had to change it they had to change their headlines the second day the the day of which they had to rewrite it their whole stories because they were they already had stories written in titles and headlines as if we lost but none for if we won because they didn't expect us to win so I was talking to everybody, you know, everybody, and they know exactly who are, who they are, unions, politicians, celebrity lights, you know, everybody in the movement, everybody that, that everybody that was, wasn't there now, uh, they wasn't there when we began, you know, and it's just unfortunate it had to be that way. But I, I you know, the next day, my phone didn't stop ringing, but, and it still doesn't stop ringing. So we know we did something. <laughs> Well, I mean, it certainly was felt out here in Australia as well. Uh, pe- pe- people certainly within the labor movement here in Australia took notice of what you guys oh, yeah. achieved. Uh, so it's a, it's a worldwide thing, which is remarkable. Um, you put Staten Island on the map, that's for sure. Um, I'm interested to know just how do you and the workers keep faith throughout this because it, it's been a long cam- – it was a long campaign. I know it's still going. I know there's still much more work to do, but certainly to get to this point, to do something that wasn't achieved in Bessemer – but you guys did. I mean, through all these challenges, how did you manage to just to keep, you know, keep focus on what you were trying to achieve? What were the things that you could that you look at now and say, well, that sustained us? Well, uh, definitely strong leadership. You know, uh, like you said before, you know, I have to be the glue to keep everything going and um, keeping everybody, my officers around me, you know, level headed and focused on the mission. And that's that's the beauty of this union being worker led is that the workers at the building, uh, they control this union. It's only the way we're we're shaping out our union is 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 natural. And we have a lot of growing pains, but um, it's great that we still have our representation and our identity. That's the most important thing that's protected, because this. This type of union um, is unique in its own way, but it's appealing to the mass. And, and that's that's what we're doing. We're trying to make unionizing look as appealing as we do. Uh, quite frankly, make it cooler, you know, cool again, you know, to talk about unions, to 
to reach with the younger generation. You know, my kids, I'm visiting middle schools now. My kids are 10 years old. They're watching me on YouTube. They're watching me on TikTok. You know, their teachers are talking about it. You know, so to see that we're reaching generations in different spaces with our union, um, like you like you said, worldwide, uh, I, I'm just trying to keep the glue, you know, keep it all together, keep us balanced and keep us focused. I mean, the name of the union, Amazon Labor Union, is the intention then to go and organize workers in other Amazon facilities or is your focus just going to remain on this one in Staten Island? Oh, no, we are are already embarked on that one. We have about four campaigns active right now nationwide, Uh, one in Kentucky, uh, the largest Amazon air hub network uh, in the network. And then we have the the Marino Valley ONT8. Um, that's in the Inland Empire, California. That's the stronghold for warehouses over there. That'll be historical. Uh, those campaigns already kicked off, and they've been collecting cars for months now. Any day now, they'll be filing for their elections. And um, yeah, I just came back from London, you know, uh, helping out, spreading the message over there with the carpentry cul- workers in the UK. Hopefully, they'll be the first unionized uh, facility. I know they're fighting for their recognition right now. Mm. Um, and yeah, Canada's organizing. We're, we're trying to go international because we know it's not going to take one building or one country to bring Amazon to the table. It's going to take all of us. That's uh, that's huge. Just to your point before about you know unions are starting to seem like they're cool again. Um, I mean, certainly in the United States, including companies like Starbucks, Apple, we're seeing workers there mm-hmm. uh, organize as well. What do you think of the common threads that you're seeing across these different companies? Where is it? Is it just young people, or is it the conditions that they're in, or is it is it infectious that people had hope from what they saw in Staten Island to think, oh shit, we can do it here as well? What's going on? Do you think? Yeah, it's a combination of all of that, um, but most most the most important, the most recent thing is app. Absolutely, the pandemic that you know paused everybody for a second to reevaluate their value as essential workers. You know, when they called us essential workers, and they didn't decipher who really is essential, who's not, they put everybody in the same position. And what you saw was, you know, people say, "You know what? Enough is enough." You know, if we can't get valued in the middle of a pandemic, then when the hell are we ever going to get valued? Yeah, and um i just think that that's hasn't gone away you know even though they trying to distract us with the economy getting everything running all you hear is economy 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 then all of a sudden it's a presidential candidates and election year and all this extra stuff people are saying you know what the hell with all of that we want to fight for our rights now and the labor movement has a resurgence especially after our historical victory last year so, you know, it's just something that's, it's a slow revolution, but it is one. The problem is that the laws and the other intangibles are, are not up to date yet. You know, the laws that are from the 1930s that are still in place, the laws that President Biden used to stop the railroad strikers in 1945. You know, the fact that the NLRB is underfunded, you know, $20 million and understaffed can't keep up with the amount of cases that we even file against Amazon and Starbucks. 
these are all issues that hasn't been addressed in 60 years. So for us, we're fighting multiple battles at one time. And, you know, if we don't do it, nothing's going to be given to us. So I just think that people are realizing that as well. You had an opportunity, speaking of politics, you had an opportunity to meet with President Biden at the White House. When you uh, tell us about that experience and when you got his attention, was uh, what did you say to him? <laughs> well, like I, I tell everybody, I don't remember that conversation because it wasn't the one that I wanted to have. And um, unfortunately, you know, it just wasn't a visit that I can say helped him help uh, our cause because it hasn't, you know, um, he hasn't done anything since then. And we're still waiting to have the pro act passed. So mm. for him to call himself the most pro pro union president in American history, you know, it's kind of tone deaf at this time. And it's, it's ironic because I just got invited back to the white house to go in a few weeks, but I don't think I'm going to go. Well, actually, Did I you really, yeah. Well, maybe this is your second chance to say, hey, Joe, come on, seriously, what are you doing? Stop fucking. Yeah, on. I mean, it does, but at the same time, I know it's more, it's more so for me, for him to get some votes for this election coming up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not going to use me again. You know, I'm not, you know, I got fooled once, but, um, <laughs> you know, I go up there and then the same day you give Amazon $10 billion, that just tells me where you're aligned. And it only takes one time for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris, look, we really appreciate you, man, coming on the show today. I know you got a, a, a packed schedule, uh, and just listening to uh, some of the things you want to plan to do next, uh, it's huge. Uh, but we want to say to you from Australia, strength to your arm to both you and all the workers in the um, Amazon Labor Union. Uh, it sounds cliche because it's probably said so often in all the articles I've read about the campaign, about this whole David versus Goliath thing, but it really, really is. And as Marshall Gantz famously wrote, Sometimes David wins, and in this case, you guys did, and you should be super proud of your achievements, and we want to ensure that you guys keep doing great work, uh, not just obviously in the United States, but across the world in helping organize Amazon workers. So well done, and thanks for your time today. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Socially Democratic was brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energize the community online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. To find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign.